Oh yeah. There it is. Do I say oh yeah too? Oh, that was really good. Then. No, oh, no don't say oh yeah. yeah. Okay, I will not say oh yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling it. Howdy, everybody. I'm Robert. And I'm Ira. And this is Antiwave, a podcast all about films that don't have access to the executive washroom. And that's really good because the movie we're critiquing this week is The The Apartment. Apartment. Happy birthday, Ira. Happy birthday to me. Yeah. Let's all give Ira a round of applause. Happy. Or I like the other one. They say it's your birthday. If you notice, there's there's more applause than normal because we've got got quite an audience. Yeah. Yeah. Ira, you, you want to introduce people? I'm going to introduce people? Yeah. Well, we have my... Actually, I was going to say, your, your Fred used to be my third best friend. No, but, brother. But listen, but one died and one moved away, so now he's vying for number one position. Vying? Vying. You're, you're in bad, you're, you can get... He said all, dying. D- dying, Fred. It all hinges Fred. on what happens here tonight with this podcast, Fred. I see. Fred Friedman, Hello. Uh, a cinemaphile, and my best friend. Wow. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, yeah he's here. We and... Know- yeah, we we've known each other since 1961. We met at camp. All right, we'll Church get into that camp. in just a minute. Yeah. Because okay. in the meantime, I yeah. want to talk about our top five. Our top yeah. five this week is what, Ira? Yeah, we're doing, and I'm ready for this. Jack Lemon movies. Jack, Jack Lemon. Hey, Robert. Yeah. Have you even seen a Jack? Lemmon? I've seen many <laughs> Jack Lemon films. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. We'll you know, see. you thought that uh, yeah. we and I talked about this, we and you thought that I was like, not... no, I've seen plenty of Jack Lemon films. Did you, did you see five? I've seen. I counted up at a rough estimate. I've seen nine. Okay. Yeah. Good. So I you had it. you had to leave out four of them then, for the top five. Oh, I, I'm not going to spoil scoops. anything, but I will say this: I love Jack Lemon, but I'm not a big fan of his movies. I'm gonna say that. There, I said it. Ooh. <laughs> Uh, I do want to point out that last week we had some uh, period pieces, and uh, a lot of them were some some things that we had kind of talked about in terms of the the Hollywood. A lot of them, the same the Hollywood right. films were the same ones that you had mentioned. I don't know how big our list would have been if we had if we kept it to Hollywood. I think period. we hit all of them, virtually I think we did. all. I know, uh, but a few other period pieces um, that that we didn't mention. Uh, let's see, L.A. Confidential, yeah, Much to yeah. Do About Nothing, The Quills, The Help. The Help was Tombstone. a period piece, yeah. Yeah, but I think you know, he mentioned Tombstone. This this guy, this uh, listener mentioned Tombstone. But as I said, Westerns are a whole new genre unto themselves. Because literally, you could just do Westerns. Right. And they're all period films. They are period piece films, but you're right. The actual category is Western. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Fred, what's your favorite period film? How about Gladiator? That's uh, a period, all right. Yeah. That was a period. That's a Sword and Sandal. That's got its own little subdivision as well, too. That's right. Yeah. Sword and Sandal. Mm-hmm. Did you see Quills? I this did. Person, yeah, yeah. The Marquis de Sade. Yeah. Lots of sex. It's a good movie. I'm sure that's what you felt like. <laughs> I remember liking it. I haven't seen it since it was in the theater, so I can't even remember very much about it. Oh, this person also, The Princess Bride, also is a period. Yeah, no, is that a period or is that a fantasy? Well, it's a fantasy Period. I would contend that's just a fantasy because it really relates to no specific period. It's sort of medieval. It feels and it's medieval. Sort of Renaissance, and it's, it's well, it's definitely not modern though. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, taking their side, I think you could say it's definitely of a period. We just don't know what period. But I would argue it, it's fictional. Well, I mean, like is it's Star it's, Wars, a period piece. I mean, it's. Right, so now we're starting. Right, we're starting to get into this weird argumentation of what is period. Star Wars in the past, right? Yes, galaxy far, far. By the way, there's one thing I forgot to do. (laughs) 
Please never do that again. That's what you said last year yeah. and the year before. <sighs> and in fact, that, that's the same whistle that he had those last two years. I know. You're right. He you, you, can, one of you can hear all the old birthdays whenever he he blows it. This thing, I, I wrap my lips around it and blow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you think it was going to get a better response than it did? <laughs> Ira, what did you see this week? Are you saying it's time for Summer Old, Summer New? We now present the Week in Review. Yeah, buddy. What did you see? going first. Okay. Robert, you know what I saw? What would you see? Con Air. I'm, I, I wait, know, no, wait I know, I, I, I'm the fourth week you mentioned Friend, on air. I, I, I'm missing with you because last week you said the same thing. Yeah, I got you. So I'm missing I'm on, I'm on I know. And I also saw Puzzle. Okay, but moving on to the real, the realist. Um, there's a movie I never heard of uh, starring uh, Jodie Foster called The Brave One. Oh, Does yeah. that mean I anything that. to you? That. And it, it's all about out for revenge mm-hmm. and some criminals done her wrong. So it's one of those. that came out around the same time as Copycat. It did. I remember yeah, that. That's yeah. interesting. You associated with that. You know who directed the Brave One? This is interesting. Mm. Uh, Neil Jordan. Oh, Neil really? Jordan, who did Crying Game and Greta, yeah. which you're going to hold against me for the rest of my life. You know, he did. Uh, I think I talked about, talked about it before. His favorite, my favorite film of his is The Butcher Boy. Did you see that? I never saw The Butcher. That's Boy. That's a good one. You should check that out. So uh, I saw that, and you know, I saw The Fly, but the original one, the original one with Vincent Price. And you know what's really interesting, Fred? And I always thought. It was a black and white movie, and it's not. Oh yeah, it's in color. But my, for some reason, in my head, I. It's like that cheap monochrome color. Like it's like a, you know, it's all washed out. Yes, yes. Because I remember the fly being that kind of dull green. You're talking about the the one from like the 1950s. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, with Vincent Price. But what does that have to do with? What? I saw it. Neil? Oh, you saw it. Okay. Oh, I'm done with Neil Jordan. Okay. We're done with that. I was talking about The Fly, which also was written by James Clavell, who was the co-writer on The Great Escape. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Just as well as Shogun. Ira. And. Try to talk into your mic. And um, To Sir With Love. He, yeah, it's interesting seeing what they do. Yeah. Uh, real fast, I just want to mention uh, a movie I saw playing in the background, The Love Witch. Now, this was really a bad, crappy movie. Now, is this about- the love which, which one? <laughs> We're talking W-I-T-C-H. Oh. And she makes these brews, these love potions, and gives them to guys, and she gets the men to fall in love with them. But then they become real subservient and whiny and needy. And so she and kills them. And you drank them. some? And she drank some. And so she kills them. It's a really good movie. But there's one I've been dying all week to share with you. No. And it wasn't that one? It wasn't no, it was, the no. love bitch or love witch? I saw witch it a second fuck? time. Primer. Oh. I, yeah, I knew you'd be pleased right. with this one. Pri- Fred, are you familiar with Time Primer? Never heard of it. It's, oh, man. It's time travel, but I think it's the most intelligent time travel. I think it's the most realistic. Ever. Yes, the most realistic. And it's on Amazon Prime, and I rented it. I wanted to see it again. Um, you know I own it. You could just you borrow own it from anybody. Yeah. You know it was made for $7,000. Yeah. Seven, a feature film, and I want to say that the look was very... And they shot on film. Yes. You know all this. Oh, of course, man. You know what? This is my notes. They actually shot it on film, and it has an overexposed, washed-out feel to it. Right. And it's raw. And I love the way the dialogue, they talk over each other. And and I, there's one thing you said months ago, and you said, if anyone invents a time machine, Primer is going to be the most realistic. Yeah, I think about, so. Yes. It's a smart, intelligent film, Primer. That's what I saw wow. this week. That's a good one. You know, I think I mentioned it before on this podcast, but one of the interesting things about Primer is, you know, when they... When they shoot on the, on film, you have like when you start up the camera, the, there's a few frames that are 
uh, overexposed to all that light. And those are called flash frames, right? There might be two or three frames and then you start filming and then when you cut the camera off, then those two or three frames right there on the strip of film are unusable. So in the 1990s, they started using some of those flash frames in music videos and things like that and just for effect. But those flash frames, generally speaking, are never used in the film. They're snipped out. But in primer... In primer, that's all that was removed. They used every other... They just cut out the flash frames and they used every piece of footage they had. That's right. In the film. That's right. Because they only had so much film to work with and they were like this is all we have we have to make every shot a storyboard they rehearsed yeah and every shot filmed is in the final film right yeah that's pretty incredible it's something to see all right and the the director even kind of uh kind of admitted he's like yeah i didn't i didn't have uh, some of the story starts to fall apart here and he's kind of like i don't know it's kind of a mess but you get the idea It's, it's more of an emotional feel it's a great movie fred you'd enjoy it okay i'll check it out all right fred what'd you see this week well, I saw absolutely no movies this week. Great. Moving on. So, <laughs> can, I, uh, can I cheat and talk about a TV show? Did you see it this week? I saw then, it. No, you can't do that. Oh, okay, yeah, well, go ahead. Talk about whatever you want to talk about, Fred. All right. It, You're the guest of honor. It's almost a movie. Uh, we, we've been watching Inspector Montalbano. Oh. Which I've is, heard about it. I haven't seen anything. It's a... Uh, Italian show based in Sicily, based on a series of novels uh, written by a guy named Andrea Camilleri, who actually just died two weeks ago at age 93. Mm. Each episode, and there have been 39 of them produced, uh, is basically a two-hour movie. So that sort of counts as a movie, although they're also called episodes of this series. There have been 39 of them made, over a period of 20 years. So kind of like Columbo then, huh? I, right? Columbo is the same way, right? Aren't they a bunch of movies? Well, were they two hours long? I don't remember. Oh, I think the, so, yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, well, the Columbo's later, been going on, on for a long time, but I don't think it was a regular series. I think it was like a bunch of movies Initially, in a it was a fashion. series, and then he came back, I think, and made those individual movies. Oh. But they're very funny, and they're very complex mysteries and exciting. And they're all shot in beautiful locations in Sicily. Um, is there a bad location in Sicily? Probably, I feel like everything has uh, got to be Probably not. It's beautiful. all gorgeous and it's all semi-decayed. Kind of like this building, you How know? How dare you? No, just kidding. How dare you, Fred? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you were uh, the guest of honor. But that's what makes And now me... you're the guest of just, we'll, ta- we'll accept you. Well, that's, You've been bumped down a couple ranks. But that's what makes this building beautiful is that it's been lived in oh and italy's <laughs> yeah. been lived good in save for, good save there for kind of like ira you've just been lived in I've been, tell me uh. about it hey he's not getting old yet i'm a month older than him <laughs> no but he's been lived in i mean <laughs> his butthole is this wide yeah, yeah. and i'm proud of it <laughs> anyway i would th- this this show is not easy to find uh, we had to actually subscribe. When you say we, it's like you and your your dog. Uh, my wife. And oh, I your wife. All right. I'm not. I'm not saying anything about your wife. I was just wondering, like, we. Who is we? Well, I'm. It's the imperial we. Don't oh, I see. I the royal we. Yes. Um, I just had visions of like you know you and your your you know lap dog sitting down watching late at night by the roaring fire, <laughs> sitting on a bearskin rug. Wow. Okay. <laughs> 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 All right. That's, that's hard to follow. But anyway, we have discovered this. It's on a, a streaming service called MHZ 
choice, which we stumbled upon by accident. It has all sorts of European television. Huh. And all in the original languages with English subtitles. So it's a really interesting streaming service. And somehow or other, the Europeans do all of these kinds of shows so much better than the Americans do. I don't know what it is. So well, are you watching a lot of American television? We try sometimes. But, but it's say, always bad. We say, oh, this doesn't compare. This doesn't compare yeah. to the, uh, the European things, the English and the, and, uh, the mainland European film, uh, TV shows that we watch. So, I, I think American television is so hit or miss. Some of it's incredible and some of it's trash. You know what I mean? Like sometimes they pull it off. Like the, the office I think is kind of widely regarded. The American version is actually better than the British version. Right. Um, you know, breaking bad is, is great. And there I can name, I can gems. rattle off a few of them, but, yeah, all, but all more recent productions and all usually more contained continuing stories. Right. But if you look at episodic mysteries and I know that, uh, Various of these are highly rated, like the NCSI or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, highly rated. We've tried watching that a couple of times, and it just doesn't hold up. Oh, I up. can't watch that stuff. That stuff does not compare to what the Europeans do, I'm no. sorry. No. All right. We'll have to check that out. And the name again was Inspector... Montalbano. Montalbano? So think of Rick Ricardo Montalban. Montalban. And just put an O at the end. I'll watch that. All right. Probably not, but I'll tell you Probably I will. Probably not. Hey, man. Uh, <laughs> I watched. say? I watched a few things. Uh, there's one in particular that I want to talk about. Uh, I watched a, a documentary called Jack of All Trades. And it's a pretty interesting documentary because the guy who's in who made the film and kind of made it with a buddy of his. Um, it's a documentary where they deviated halfway through the, the documentary and one of them wanted to make a documentary about this subject and another wanted to make a documentary about that subject. And they kind of did both in the middle of the documentary. So here's the premise. Um, there's a kind of child actor who grows up in this kind of, um, you know, fairly wealthy uh, Jewish family in New York. And he... His dad owned a baseball card shop, <clears throat> and they sold baseball cards next to a Toys R Us. Uh, they did really well. The card shop was really successful. And then all of a sudden, the dad um, sold the baseball card shop and moved away and never had any sort of contact with the son and the family anymore at all. So in the, in the kid's life, as he gets older, he never really processed the feelings that he had with his dad, but he starts to, uh, he starts to delve into this whole baseball card stuff. He has thousands and thousands of baseball cards. His mom is trying to get him to get rid of them. He packs them all up, takes them all to a baseball card show and finds out that they're worth about 40 bucks. And this is the same uh, time period of when I was a kid. There, there was just so many baseball cards being produced that apparently these things are not worth very much. I don't know if you recall back in the 80s and 90s, there was a big baseball card boom. And we were told that these things would be super valuable one day. And they're just not. They're not worth anything. It's been you know 30 years and they're just worth a, a few bucks. Sort of like Beanie Babies. Yeah. I mean, and the only... The only reason why any of these are worth anything is because of perceived value. And there is no perceived value on a lot of these. And uh, it talks about a couple of, uh, of companies that had overproduced. Uh, Upper Deck, for example, overproduced the uh, Ken Griffey Jr. You know Ken Griffey Jr., right, Ira? Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so the, it overproduced the Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card and to the point where it, it was just 
I mean, they felt like they were printing money uh, every time they made a new one. It was worth, you know, 40, 50 bucks or something like that. And um, it's now just utterly devalued. And it's really interesting. There's just so much, so many of these cards that are out there. And there's only a handful that are truly worth anything because of their rarity sake. And so that was one subject that the one, one guy wanted to talk about. And the other guy wanted to talk about this actor's uh, relationship with his dad. And they kind of did both. And by the end of the film, they kind of married these two together in a really interesting kind of spin. And it was, I think, one of these unusual circumstances of a uh, documentary getting out of control and the filmmakers bringing it back in together. And it really kind of worked. These two elements come together? Yeah. I mean, well, the dad owned a baseball card shop, so he does kind of wrap up both worlds. It's uh, it's a really kind of interesting story, I felt like. I don't know. That, it, it was a... If I'd seen it on paper, I would have been like, but this is not going to work. And seeing the finished product, it kind of, it, it not only pulled it off, but it was really pretty captivating. But apparently all those baseball cards are garbage. I'll throw out my collection. <laughs> yeah. I belong, what's his name? Ken? What? You just have yes. sex, no, like have sex Ken. star, uh, no, sex not, dungeon no. cards or whatever. Well, I have that too, but I am the president of the fan, Ken fan club. The Ken fan Ken club? Fan. Ken Griffey Ken, Jr.? Ken. Oh, you were a Ken Griffey Sr. fan. Oh, That's yeah, all. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go back that one. I hate to tell you, though, I did own a number of Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris. Did you really? Back in the 1950s. If you had the 1952 Mickey Mantle card, that was the one. They said there's really only two or three cards that have any value, and it's the Honus, 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 the Honus Wagner card uh, from the early 1900s, and then the 1952 Mickey Mantle Tops card. So if you have that, that's worth a pretty price tag. I did. I had those things, but I no longer do. They wow. got, I grew up, and I didn't need my cards anymore, and I tossed them out. Mm. Wow. I used to have a bunch of gold bars, and I did the same thing. <laughs> I was just like, who needs these paperweights? <laughs> just chucked them all out. And they, they all said Fort Knox on them, and I'm like, <laughs> outdated. Yeah. They were heavy. They were heavy. Yeah, it's yeah. like you know, heavy. going from place to place. You move yeah. a few yeah. times, yeah. and... Yeah. Eventually, you're like, I don't need this crap. <laughs> Ira, it's yeah. your birthday, bud. Happy yeah. fucking birthday. Thank you. And if you'll the, notice you know, next I just to you. Want, I'm gonna, I yeah. need to say that. Wait a minute. That of all the way to spend my birthday, that I can't think of a more Of genuine, all the ways to spend your birthday, this is it. This is the best way. <laughs> oh, oh, this is the with, best. With my closest friends. And we have a full house today. Producer Joey is here. Fred's wife, Sarah, who's bonding like crazy with your daughter, by the way. I think she's going to take her and, home. Uh, That's I, what I think. I might have to file a kidnapping but, charge at yeah, the end of this podcast. Terry is here, Fred and Sarah's son. And this is a great way to spend my birthday. And thank you all for being here today. And it's so great that we've not mic'd any of them up. It's... <laughs> It's just you, me, and Fred. But you can hear some laughter in the background. Hey, buddy, happy birthday. Right next to you is a little gift. You want to open Should that? Should I do it now? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. All right, so he's going to reach over and grab the back. Ooh, you can hear the rapping. It's All a right. sex doll. Another one. All right. Uh, I have a feeling, what? judging by the size and shape and the weight of this. It's a dildo. It's, a, <laughs> it's a, a either a Blu-ray or a DVD, and I'm unraveling it now, and... You got me. Um, you spoke about this. I and, did. And education. Speak and education. about it again. Speak about it again. I, I'm not going to speak about it again. Just go watch. Fred, this. are you familiar with this? Yes, we. I, yeah, I, I saw. I saw it. Yeah, I saw it. I think it's a movie that you would really enjoy. Thank you so much. And dig a little deeper in there. I think Wait, there might be something else be in there. One. You got two? Well... This means I have to get two for you now? now. You're making my life more complicated. Now. We said it would be one. Now you got me two. Well, I think the deal was if they were used, you could get two. Which one is used? Wait, this is sticky. 
<laughs> well, that's the porno one. I didn't mean to put I that know. in there. You spoke about this last Red Belt. Yes. Yes. So Red Belt is the David Mamet uh, martial arts film. So we talked about both these on the podcast earlier, and I think you would enjoy watching this. This is your homework assignment. So for your birthday, I got you homework. <laughs> I have to go home. This will take me hours to do, but I'll report back next week. Great. Uh, thank you so much. Sure, absolutely. Thank you buddy. for this gift. And again, thank you all for being here. You know why? Why? They say it's your birthday. Bop, 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 bop. And Madeline's singing with you on that. Do, 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 do. Hey, bud, you want to talk about the apartment? But before we do, Uh-oh. There's some, you sent me a very interesting YouTube video. I did. And the premise of the video, Fred, you're going to be interested in this, All right. is that so many cartoons, not just Disney included, but not just Disney, deal with family units where there's a, where there's a, uh, a dead mother. A dead mother. The mother is dead. I'm still can't hear you. Get, get in your wait, mic. Am I getting too close? There you go. That's the, good. The mother is dead. Yeah. The mother is the dead. The mother is dead. I know. Talk to us about this, Robert. It was really quite fascinating. Yeah, I think the, the, the premise of the movie, or sorry, the video clip that I sent you was uh, that it really, how, how to describe it? It was like that in order for us to kind of sympathize yes. with the, the character, we needed a, a family member to be absent and then that kind of made us feel like they were an underdog so to speak in the uh uh in the in the storyline they'll Is be that- pathos right they'll be pathos and then basically talk to the psychology of how uh we still kind of think of the mother as being the primary caregiver even right. though uh you know we have two parents if the mom dies that's somehow seen as more tragic than just the father dying and so it was really interesting how in a lot of Disney films, a they kind of listed of movie after movie after movie how the mother had died. And, and not just uh, the obvious, you know, like Bambi, but so many others were included. And it's a fascinating uh, a phenomena, a phenomena. And it does show that there's um, uh, more, more compassion and pathos for the surviving children when there's a lack of a mom. One of the things that I was interested in is it was saying how the father, by the end of the story, almost always comes to, uh, to become a more acceptable caregiver and really rises to the challenge. And it, you know, it says he, the father never uh, becomes evil or does something wrong. The father is at least neutral or better. And then I started thinking about our film, 30 love. And I was kind of going, Hmm, well, mm-hmm. well interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Well, mm-hmm. so much for these generalizations. Yeah. 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 I guess we're never getting picked up by Disney, but uh, <laughs> at any rate, yeah, I, I think our future animation prospects are probably off the table. I don't think they're... For 30 Love? Yeah. No, they're not going to make it. But uh, it's an interesting video, and uh, I think it's uh, largely true. Yeah. The, Actually, the Disney is doing it the other way around now. It's not going from live action to animated. It's going from animated to live action. Well, I think they're just trying to rape their own uh, catalog of ideas and just going, what can we redo in any which way? I mean, they they're doing Lion much, King. and Too much money off of each of these remakes. Yeah. It's yeah. funny because they're, they're touting Lion King, the new one, as being live action, and it's but not. it's not. It's not live yeah. action. It's, it's, an, it's, it's, it's computer animation yes. instead of line animation. Yes, that's yeah. right. That's right. But they're saying, well, we've gone from animation to live action. It's not live. It's not live (laughs) from animation to a different form of animation animation. (laughs) no they actually trained lions to talk that's my understanding really (laughs) the warthog was really tough to train (laughs) can you see okay how many times do you think that sentence has been said the warthog was really hard to train i'll tell you (laughs) all right hey man let's talk about the apartment and robert talk us through it the apartment is a movie starring jack lemon that was it. No, that, no, how's the theme go? I'm, I'm the theme. 
Now you've got me all. All right. 1960 American romantic comedy. That's it. That's it. What a lush, beautiful score. C.C. Baxter is an insurance clerk uh, who is trying to climb up the corporate ladder. And in so doing, he has a great apartment that apparently every executive in his company wants to use to to bang some mistress in uh, of... Of some sort, so he's constantly leasing out his apartment, and uh, in the process, he falls in love with Shirley MacLaine, the elevator operator, who it just so happens the head executive or like one of the top executives of the company. I don't know if it's the CEO; it's like the personnel director or something like that. But hmm. he uh, also has his eyes set on Shirley MacLaine, and there, therein lies the rub. Okay, well, what'd you think? Okay, what did you think? So, considering you, think? you selected this movie, I'm going to assume did. that you liked it. I did select it, but Fred. What's your, what did you think? Friend, what's your, what's well, your yeah, opinion? Let's bring the guest in. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies of all time, yeah. so yeah. I think I like it. I liked it a lot. And uh, it's definitely, now watching it in the 21st century, it's definitely a product of its time. People who've watched Mad Men may understand what's going on here. That's It's a whole different social and sexual mores of the off, of the workplace that, compared to today this movie could not be made today agreed it, agreed it, really i, don't I knew you would so. disagree with that i i i'm looking forward to having I this think talk it could with you. be made today it would, Man. it would have to have a different story or it would have to be like mad men intentionally anachronistic uh throwing back to a different era because everything that happens in this movie would be politically incorrect and would be sexual har- harassment and and in the workplace. Um, so it would have to be a different story. It would be the Me Too movement rewriting the script. I know what you're saying, and I think there are ways that you could you could do it um, that would not. I, I, I think the, the Me Too movement would affect if it was done by a Hollywood standard. But I think you could make this movie, especially as a you know, high budget independent film. I think you could remake it um, and not have to change it significantly. I do think that what you're talking about about it, it being intentionally anachronistic. I think that's they say anarchist, yeah. anachronistic, anachronistic. I said it right, didn't yes, I? You did. Okay. Although you are an anarchist at heart. <laughs> Thank that's you. All I, the point. <laughs> Maybe it should be anarchist. Yeah. Intentionally anarchist. Yeah. Uh, anachronistic. I think it should be intentionally anachronistic. But I think the movie. As it stands, the 1960 version is already that way. It's kind of critiquing that behavior. And our hero, I mean, he clearly doesn't like what's going on. He clearly uh, has his frustrations. Uh, and I think even the morality is kind of called into question as it stands, don't you think? I mean, am I... Am I, a- I think he's very much an amoral person. He's yes. using his apartment and as a way of building himself up in the business to a higher level. And the men who use his apartment clearly are manipulating him to think so, that he's going to get promotions and more money and more status in the building, in, in, the, in this huge company of 30,000 employees, if he allows them to do this. Well, I think, it, I, I mean, he says it so many times. I think the intention was just that he didn't have any backbone. Yes. And he just was thinking this is the easiest way up. What? You're giving me this a look. This is interesting. Well, okay. I want to jump in here and say, ever since we've coined the expression anti-wave, I'm looking at all films with the anti-wave, with the anti-wave lens. 
this I think is an incredible, incredible anti-wave movie, and the Jack Lemmon character, Buddy Boy, is uh, leaves a lot to be desired m- morally, mm. and not only he even correct me if I'm wrong, Fred, because we watched it together and you were taking notes. Isn't aren't there scenes where Jack Lemmon's character is aware that not only is the boss using his apartment for action, but he also knows the boss is not going to stay with her. He, yeah. He, he yes. knows, right? Well, I don't know if he knows that aspect of things. Uh, that he knew all along that, uh, that the boss was manipulating the situation to get some action on the side? Are you talking about the relationship between Sheldrake and Fran? Yes. Yes. I don't know that Jack Lemmon's character knew I he that. Did. I think he, I think if it, if it wasn't explicit, I think it was implied. He, 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 he figured it out that Fran was the one only when he sees the broken mirror in the compact. Right. Which is probably at least halfway through the movie. It then is, it, but after that changes. point. But he, I don't know that he knows that this isn't going somewhere. He's He's trying to be too good by saying all the things that he needs to say to allow that relationship to continue. Here it comes. He's allowing the woman that he loves to get stupped in his own apartment only for his own, um, his own, what's the word I'm looking for, promotion in the business. Well, I think... That's no, pretty messed up. I don't think that's the case. I don't think he's doing it for his promotion at that point. He's doing it because he loves her. He believes that she loves only Sheldrake, not himself. And she's, he's sacrificing himself for her happiness I, that's the way i see i see it action. that way too that's and in addition to it i think he also it's a train that's already left the station he can't right. he can't do anything right. to stop the action that's that's already been put in place and to me i think that's why i take it as just he finally grows a pair by the end of the movie he's right uh right. you know he's grown up and said you know what fuck it i don't care about the job i don't care about any of this stuff i'm going to stand up for something that I believe in for a change. That's the big growth. That's the big arc. Right, right. So I like what you're saying, that up to that point that he just wanted her, the elevator operator, to be happy. Right. And, and to be... She's looking for love. She wants to find love. And he was convinced that she found love with the, from the boss. Not only that, he, he sacrifices himself by talking to her brother-in-law uh, as if he's the bad guy and ultimately gets smashed in the face for it. Right, right. But, you know, I want to jump on, we're going to talk more about the Jack Lemmon character, but also, this is another reason why I don't think, in the way we saw it, it could get made today, every female in this film is ditzy. Ditzy. Or Shirley MacLaine, who's kooky. So we have all these ditzy women, ditzy, the blonde out of it, babbling out of it. And the Shirley MacLaine character isn't so ditzy, but she's kooky. I don't see her as kooky. I see her as sensitive and caring and intelligent the yeah way, but she's the way, quirky i think well, she's, she's got some she's, quirks but that what comes across to me is her intelligence the way she can do the snappy repartee with jack in the elevator she's clearly different i mean she she's, she has that intelligence she's, she's spunky. brighter than than her position as a yeah, and operator, I, I do think I, really, would allow. I think that you're right, in the, and both of you are, are correct in that, yes, they are all portrayed as ditzy, except for her, and I think that's something that would have to change in the Me Too yes, movement. Yes, that could right. not get made today. And so I think one of the ways they do that is they would have a female higher up who is using the apartment 
to have sex with some other man yeah. or woman, you know, just using people in his apartment. I think if you start doing that and, you, and viewing it from that lens, you start to make it more about the, the idea of growing a spine in front of your bosses instead of it being about this, um, uh, I don't know, like this amoral approach to corporate sexualness, I guess. Right? Yeah. What's also peculiar is all the the four guys who are using the apartment before Sheldrake comes along, Uh those four guys are all old, unattractive, and their only attractive feature is their power. I don't know if that one was kind of hot, you know. You, you don't like, find any of them hot? Huh? You like Ray Walston, do you? Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. it makes your day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. I mean, after staring at Martian. Ira every week, it's like, yeah, you know, come on. Martian. He was really hot. <laughs> All right, I'll go with that. <laughs> anyway, but... I had no idea what I was going to say now. You're <laughs> no, saying all four of them before, well, uh, before yes, Sheldrake comes and in. And the, the women that they're bringing there are all significantly younger, attractive, and yet, and, and clearly they are there attracted to these men only because of their positions of power in the organization, yet there's no discussion of promotions in the business. None of these women seem to be there to advance their careers, they're there because they want to have quote-unquote laughs. They always say, well, we just wanted to have some laughs. Party girls. Party girls. That's what I meant by ditzy. And would a party girl pick these guys to have laughs with? That's a good point. Today? So the sexual harassment, which is implied, which is that they might want to get advancement in the business by sleeping with these men, is never really discussed. The only person who's advancing in the business is Jack. Does he have a sexual harassment case because they're using his apartment for sex? Probably. But I, I think, were the women, were all the women working at the business as well? Not all of them because remember the... Right, the, there were... I, think I took Walsh, it to be just like these are relationships that they have with... Well, one of them, remember, is the is the uh, phone girl, the, the switchboard... Right, the switchboard, switchboard operator. operator. And, and, but we do know that Ray Walston, Excuse after me. bringing one woman... Picks up this woman who looks like Marilyn Monroe at the bar, and he yeah, wants yeah. to bring her over. Right. Yeah. Are yeah. you? My my daughter is getting very upset about this conversation. Oh, tell her to shut the fuck up. Uh, uh, seriously, she's. <laughs> you start talking about like you know, what? women using the Me Too movement. That stuff. She gets really riled up. So. Yeah. 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 Feminist of the future. Can I say something, please? You're not going to like you, this. Yes, I want. To, what did you think of the movie? I don't like this movie. I've seen it before. I'd seen it again. I really was excited about it again. And I, I realized something. Uh, I, let me rephrase what I said. I didn't dislike the movie, but I don't like the movie. I find it to be kind of average. It's not bad. It's not a bad movie. And I remember that. Oh, well, maybe she disagrees with that too. But it was, it's not a bad movie. It just didn't delight me. And um, I think some of the visuals, especially at the beginning. Hey, producer Joey, can you take her? Would you mind just moving her back? To the other, she's just a little too loud. <laughs> if they don't agree with you, remove them. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, I think the visuals, especially at the beginning, are really incredible. The uh, all of the office stuff—that's forced perspective, Did right? You know about that? Yeah, where they had kids and clothing in that's the background, right, in the background and stuff like that. Yep. It's it's yep. really incredible. And they made the furniture smaller, and something. it looks awesome. Yep. It's the whole thing just comes together so beautifully, um, visually in the. 
I, I've learned a few things from watching this movie, and I'm really glad that I watched it. One, I, I also learned that I don't like Billy Wilder very much. I actually I went through and thought about all the films of his that I've seen, and none of them did I really spark to. And um, I don't know. I know he's regarded as a, a genius in the film industry. You're, you look so disappointed right now. Okay, it's my birthday too. <laughs> well, I'm going to be honest, uh, but I, I it, this is not a bad movie. Yeah. It's too long. It definitely needs to be cut. It just over two hours. I think it's like two. Uh, I looked it up later. It was like two hours and ten minutes or something. And it needs to be a ninety minute movie. I think there's plenty of stuff to cut. And I just felt like um, I don't know. There was there, there was nothing that was clicking for me. Mm. And wow. I, I really, I mean, I, 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 did, I wasn't distracted or anything like that. I gave it my, my all. And I remember feeling that way the last time that I saw it. I was kind of going, huh, all right. I don't know why this doesn't do it for me. Interesting. Convince me otherwise. Well, I'm, this is not necessarily an argument to convince you, but I do want to say it won. It won Best Picture, Best Director. It got uh, Best Original Screenplay. It won uh, Best Film Editing and Best uh, Art Direction, Set Direction, Black and White. Uh, that's when they did it. And it was I would bring that mic a little closer to you or something. Yeah, yeah, is it not, really? That's what? better. Is yeah, that better? That's much better. Oh, so it was, no, it was nominated for a shitload of Oscars and won a lot of them too. And Jack and Shirley were both nominated, but they didn't win as we know. Mm. Um, huh, that's interesting. I, I also don't I find Shirley MacLaine to be a, a sex Crucian. idol. What's that? I think Jack Crucian, that plays the doctor, was nominated He's, too. Um, you know, I want to say, I'm glad you mentioned that. Let me just interrupt you for one second. He's a character actor. Fred and I did some research on this guy. He's the doctor across the hall. Right. And he's done so much. He's done so many movies and TV, right? A lot of TV, episodic TV yeah. as a guest appearance. Yeah, back yeah. In the so 50s he did a lot. I also want to say one more thing that the cinematography, which is just right, it didn't call attention to itself, itself but it was just fine the way it was. Same uh, DP who did Marty. I thought you'd enjoy knowing oh, that. Oh, really? Yeah, I think yeah. I, I heard something yeah. about that from when I did some research on Marty. Right. And um, the same DP for one of the sections of How the West Was Won. That's but we, right. But we couldn't figure out which section it was. But we didn't which know which section, section it was. was. Hmm. Yeah, and How the West Was Won. But, uh, Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. Not a sex idol. I don't believe that she'd be having all these guys going wild over her. And I guess I had read somewhere that oh they... Oh, my God. Really? Well, you know... Well, they, were gonna, they were going to cast Marilyn, right? Marilyn Monroe was like uh, fighting for the role, but Billy Wilder was like, no, fuck you. Um, he was fed up with her you know, acting like a diva, and so I guess he didn't want to give her the role because of that. But I do think that it would have been better off filmically for her to be in the role instead of Shirley MacLaine. You really found you found I her? think she's hot. I mean, I, Irma LaDue, she made a good prostitute. Mm-hmm. I can't envision Marilyn in this role because she's really cute, but she's, I don't see her coming across as intelligent, whereas Shirley MacLaine's character here really feels... Bright. We needed Audrey and Hepburn. Audrey, Audrey Hepburn. Hepburn maybe. Agreed. Yeah, that could have done it. But you know what? I never was crazy about Audrey, um, Audrey Hepburn. I was always crazy about Audrey Hepburn, but that's another story. Shirley MacLaine, I just never was turned on to in, the, in that time period. Mm. And that was when I was in my teen years, so I should have been. But, you know, looking back at this character and this performance, I'm really impressed. It's subtle where a lot of the acting in this movie is is over the top, uh, she's very subtle, very real, very warm. Uh, I I was very much attracted to her in this character. I guess I as I watched it, I saw several times where I felt like she was waiting to say her line, and I I didn't like that. Uh, there were times like when she 
the moment that's coming to my mind in particular is the uh, uh, making the action where she talks about her hand being cut off in the uh, in the, the elevator, like the elevator doors will close, and she kind of puts her hand into her shirt. I could see her trying to to make the line work before it was time to make the line work. Hmm. Like it was already uh, the seeds were already planted. Another problem that I have with this movie, Jack Lemmon is supposed to be significantly sick and like dying of the flu through a big portion of the movie, and he is moving around like a wild man. If you have the flu, you do not move. You're like, I, I can't. Well, it's move. a cold. Wasn't it just a cold? It's well, a cold. He's, yeah, but look, the dude's staying at home. He's so sick, but he's like f- frantically like flailing about, and he's like stuffing handkerchiefs everywhere. It's It's... It's he, not right. It's not the right performance. He is a little over the top in parts. I just yeah. realized that watching it again last and night. Please, um, I mean, I'm not attacking the man. I love Jack Lemmon. I really think whenever he shows up in some movies, and, and as I did my top five, I realized a lot of it is, oh, I'll watch this movie, and I'll actually be drawn more toward it because Jack Lemmon's in it. And I'm going, I like him, but his acting is frequently over the top, I found. As I, as I was looking through these movies, I'm going, he's not that great in this, but I like him. Does that make sense? I, I don't disagree I, with that. I don't disagree I, either. I, I don't I, disagree. I, I agree with that. I see the over-the-top nature yeah. of, this, of yeah. this acting. On the other hand, since he is very morally ambiguous, only Jack Lemmon could make this character likable. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's very true. I, I think it's also uh, true in the sense that very few people could make him so meek and still likable and warm, right? Yes. So very few people could really pull that off, that kind of a character. You know what scene really annoys me? I know, this I know. Ira knows because I complained about yeah. it. The scene where he's singing while making the spaghetti. Yeah. That <laughs> singing drives me nuts. Why? I don't know. It just, just doesn't feel right. Yeah, imagine being on a podcast where every week your partner has to sing something. He <laughs> <laughs> gets I, it in like constantly. I can understand what you mean now. Uh, excuse yeah. me, uh, I'm the birthday boy. Oh, hey, what's up? Yeah. What's up, douche? Happy birthday <laughs> to me. There you go. He's doing it again. <laughs> That's interesting, Robert. Yeah. I mean, I, I love this film. It's I get it. It's certainly up there among the top 15 favorite films of all time. And I can me. understand it's, why you like it. Mm-hmm. I get that. Uh, it's not for me, uh, yeah, and, and I, I really, I want you to know that I did give it my all. I really yeah. watched and studied. I do have um, a thought. If you, if you came home, if you came home to your apartment, you, your apartment has been used a couple of times by other people. Am I wrong? I don't know of what you speak. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes, it has. So, if you came home and your I defixed the, the the woman that you had been pining away for. Right, was drugged and a like a, a near death. Yeah, but she was drugged on your bed. Oh, I see what you're saying. I'd fuck her. Yeah, that's kind of what I think, man. <laughs> if we're talking about a morally ambiguous, amb- ambiguous uh, person, I think you, I think Ira would rape her and then call the police. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Fred. <laughs> Um, I like how you're asking Fred to comment on that one. Yeah, he knows me quite well. Uh, Let me think about this Uh, for a minute. (laughs) I thought you were going to ask the question about the other thing too. I want the woman that I live to be. Here's the other thing, too, is that you could just blame it on the other guy. And be like, I didn't rape her. It wasn't me. It was him. 
Well, they would do DNA. They would do on the DNA. And it would First be of all, like it's the 1960s, and second of all, you could be like, "She's in my bed." Of course, there's going to be my DNA everywhere. It's compromised. There you go. See, dude, your your excuse is already kind of. It's just. It's all written out for you, man. I like how you're mulling this over like as if it's I've a possibility. Never, I've never seen Ira this speechless. He well, he doesn't know what, what you're to saying. say I'm about this. What you're saying. Yeah. So what you got to do is start leasing out your apartment. I was going to say. And just leave a bottle of sleeping pills right by the bedside and be like, ah, you know. Robert, do you have like a girlfriend on the side and you can use my apartment because we want producer Joey to know what's going on. Use my place. She'll be near death, suicidal. I'll go over and I'll have my way with her. You got it. I've been trying cool. to do that for a while. That's what I'm really getting at. <gasps> producer Joey, you're not listening, right? <laughs> as right. it turns out uh many of the sleeping pills that are available these days you it's hard to kill yourself on those alone yeah you got to resort to aspirin now yeah you gotta <laughs> and in those days this this medicine was second all which was a barbiturate sedative it suppresses respiration and you can die from that for sure well I guess it's good that she didn't die. Yes. Although they did seem to make light of it. It was almost just like, oh, just walk her around a little bit. I was like, oh my gosh, man, this is a major... Like, the, the, she was... Oh, they slapped her. Well, that was quite a scene, the slap. I know. Well, and they kept cutting away, too, to Jack Lemmon of, like, he, him looking at her like, what, why, why do you got to slap her? It was, it was a lot of slapping. It was yeah. a little gratuitous. You're getting... Aroused? You're, yeah, a little, <laughs> a little aggressive there, buddy. <laughs> Have, you know, yeah, smack her! Smacker, smacker. Jumping ahead, <laughs> jumping ahead to money shots. I have to say that I did see this movie in 1960. At which time I was 13. My parents took me to see this movie, and what I really remember. You talk about the money shots being. What do you remember years later? Right. The scene of them walking her back and forth in that room was the sh- one of the sh- key shots that really? stayed with me. That really made an impression. Walking off her suicide? More, yeah. More than even the slapping. I don't remember the slapping until I saw it again recently. But Had you not seen it since 1960? Oh, I've probably watched it in between, but it's been a number of years mm. until I watched it again recently. And uh, the walking scene was really what stuck in my mind. Yeah, because I mean, if you had not seen it since 1960, that would be quite a leap of... I mean, I couldn't imagine that you would really retain much from that long right yeah wow that's interesting yeah, yeah. what about you what's, your, what's one like, of your money shots yeah let me just say that uh, again just a little trivia note that in in contemporary times it was one of uh, only two other movies that won best film in black and white uh schindler's list and the artist uh those schindler's were, list was not a black and i white knew you were gonna say that i know yeah not only because of the girl in the red dress but because of the ending mm-hmm. putting the stones on right right but Largely regarded as a black and white film, right. unless that's your trivia. The money shot for me, I call it the graduate ending, uh, the run at the end, even though the graduate, he was running. But here we had Shirley MacLaine running. And that run is obviously an emotional swell, I think, not just for me, but for virtually all the viewers, uh, where she realizes who she wants to be with and what's important on New Year's Eve. That great moment when she's with Fred McMurray, who's kind of a terrific villain, I think. Yeah. And uh, the camera pans and she's gone. She's out, It swivels on Fred and then back to the table where they're at that club and this, her seat is vacant. And then we go to her running towards him and the music swells. And that's a money shot for me. And, you know, I speaking... Uh, uh, Speaking about Gene Wilder before, like, I, I, 
Did Bill, I say? You said you Gene, said Gene Wilder. Wilder. Not Gene Wilder, but uh, Billy, Billy. No, Billy Wilder. Billy Wilder. Oh. Thank you. Uh, I like Fred McMurray and Gene Wilder's little, little jump off to the side there. Fred McMurray was great in Double Indemnity, but I, that was another uh, Billy Wilder film. But I didn't really like that movie. I felt like that was overrated. And I feel like most of the movies that I see of Billy Wilder's, I'm like, I just, I, I can't get into them. I don't know what it is. I literally went through and was like, "What? what is it that's not appealing to me here? And then I, I was like, I didn't really care for it. It's not a bad movie, but I'm just kind of like, eh, 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 about a bunch of these movies. Interesting. Just yeah. a question on another note. Uh, how do you feel about comedies in black and white? I don't have a problem with them. I mean, I don't mind if they're... Uh, I'm not someone who feels like they... They have to be color, colorized or, or in black and white either way. I mean... Yeah, I personally like black and white a lot. And it's unfortunate they're not making movies in black and white anymore. Clearly, in 1960, it was a choice. It wasn't, economic, wasn't an economic decision. Because by that point, there were a lot of movies in color. And yet they decided to make this one in black and white, which I find very interesting. Yeah, I think there's something that's kind of nostalgic about it. I think it's also a you know a production saving, uh, like a, a budget concern if you're trying to save money on color stocks. It's also just an ease at the time of uh, it's simpler to work in black and white than it was in color in terms of lighting and things like that. You don't have to worry about color and costume. And, um, you know, a lot of those things can be cheaper. Um, I think... I th- I have played in my mind, especially in the past you know ten years, of thinking about trying to make a film in black and white now. And as I get older, I start to realize that I just don't. I th- I think it just kind of screams of being. Um, it feels pretentious. Pretentious. I knew you were going to say the word yeah. pretentious. Yeah. And now the artist, the silent film, that doesn't feel pretentious. It, it feels appropriate. Right. 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 That. And so I think there are some films that need it. Um, but I think that's just it just right, feels like right. why is this in black and white? There better be a really good reason why it's in black and white. Now, of course, good night and good luck, which we spoke about recently. And the interesting sure. thing is you know that was shot in color and then they uh, processed it in yeah. black and white in post I think there are some times where it can be done. Schindler's List is a great example of that. That right. movie, if it had been in color, it would not have been as great. Right. I actually think that it was enhanced Absolutely. a great deal Absolutely. by some of that. How about Manhattan? Mm. What do you think about that one? Because Woody is one who seems to be able to get away with black and white occasionally. Yeah, I think he could. He there's something about it, the grittiness of it. There's it's. I think he shot on a film stock that just kind of felt a little more grainy, Mm -hmm. and I guess somehow it just kind of. um, We almost kind of give him a pass. I don't know because he did the same with what's the cigarettes movie that he did that something cigarettes something 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 is in the late nineties. He yeah he did a movie in the late nineties that was in black and white as well something in cigarettes hmm. a gum and cigarettes or something like that anyway but anyway yeah the, the well, i think cinematography in manhattan is gorgeous point well made about woody allen i feel like he can get away with it without uh without being overly pretentious i'm thinking about like american history x which did a really good job of having black and white but then also integrating color and um and then that same director did a documentary in black and white about abortion and i feel like that was reflective of the com- of the content of it being a black or white issue, and actually these are shades of gray. And I feel like there are times where it's appropriate, but most of the time it's not appropriate. It just feels excessive to me as I'm getting older. And I, I remember feeling the opposite, uh, feeling very similar to what you're saying, Fred, of 
there needs to be more black and white films. And now that I'm getting older, I'm going, why? You don't, you don't really need that. Most people, it turns people off. I think it makes it less marketable. I think fewer people are going to go see it. And it's all just because you're, because you have this idea of, uh, of romanticizing a, a, a technology that's been surpassed. But with film noir or those early episodes of Outer Limits or The Twilight Zone, how about the train? They, they, oh, the train! In, but the I mean, look at a film like like uh, L.A. Confidential, right? L.A. Confidential that we, you know, that's not black and white. That's right. And I feel yeah, like they works. grabbed a lot of the same noir yeah. elements, and a lot of that stuff was pulled off. So, I think there, you can, you can update it in a way that is hmm. is in color and, and enhanced. Right. Right. Hey, let me ask your opinion on something. When I was reading up on the film preparing for tonight, um, so many articles refer labeling genre. They referred to the apartment as one of the greatest rom coms ever made. Rom com, wow. romantic no, I comedy, and I, 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 it gave me pause when I saw romantic comedy. Let it's me not let me romantic. do something real quick. Let me yeah. just knock out my money shot, and then let's get to that comment because uh, my money shot is is him. Uh, sitting at his desk with the big force perspective and the beautiful office scenery behind him. Okay, right. now moving on. Let's get back to this concern that you have because I think this leads us straight into anti-wave. Mm-hmm. What you're describing is, I think the apartment is anti-wave. On a scale from one to 10, if a 10 was like Brazil, you know, the you know, the Terry Gilliam movie all about corporate, you know, climbing up the ladder, and a one would be like Working Girl, you know, from the 1980s. There you go. Let's Let's think about that. This movie, uh, where would this movie rate on a scale from 1 to 10? So is it very, very anti-Hollywood or is it traditional Hollywood? And I think what you're describing is a really good argument as to why this is a more anti-film. Yes, yes. This is anti-wave in in the sense that, say what you're going to say. It's not a romantic comedy. It's not a romantic. I don't know what genre it is. Uh, No, I agree with you. I think if Jack Lemmon hadn't played that role, it wouldn't have been a comedy at all. right. Right. Yeah. Right. And I don't, I don't know that it was a, it was a drama either. This is really a, a tweener. This is between yeah. genres. We could call it a dramedy. A dramedy. Yeah. That's true. Which, I, it almost feels... Which I like. Fred, I like, I like what you just said. If Jack Lemmon had not been in it, I wonder if it would have been a comedy at all. And I think there, I think there are other comedic elements to it. Yes, there are some funny lines. The, right. The script is pretty clever. But it's not a, even a laugh out loud comedy. I mean, even the funny stuff is like, huh. it's like a, it's amusing. It's chuckling. You might have one or two laughs, but then that could happen in practically any drama. Right. You know, there's going to be one or two laugh out loud moments just because life happens that way. But I wouldn't, you know, just because you get one or two laugh out loud moments in a drama doesn't make it a comedy. So. Yeah, I think that's a really good Isn't argument, especially Romantic in the heyday comedy. of this golden age of right, cinema. You would right. think that it would fit squarely within a specific genre. Yeah, and it I don't know that it does. That's because the rom-coms of today are so empty. Yes. And this is really about something. Our perception of rom-coms of late has been so diluted with inane, well, they're simplified about, stuff. They're only about yeah, one right, right. thing, right? Whatever that thing is, it's... Um, you know, whether if it's climbing up the corporate ladder, that's it. That's all it's about, and it's just about that one thing repetitively and very predictably. And I think this is not about one thing. It's about love. It's about it's it is about corporate uh, ascension. It's also about um, you know 
manhood. It's about a lot of different things and very complex emotions. Which I like. Much more real. That is good. Yeah. Yes, it's very good. That's why I like this movie. Ultimately, it's a love story. Yeah. It It is a love story. It is a love story. Now Mm. let's talk about the ending. Yes. Well, especially if we're talking about it being anti-wave. The the ending, ending, the last line. The last line. Ah. Yeah. Well, go ahead. What do you think? Shut up and deal. Yeah. Shut up and deal. How do you feel about that? I kind of like it. Do you? Yeah. I like it a lot. I know you especially because you see the expression on her face when she says it, and that you know that's her way of saying "I love you too." I like it a lot too. Let me just be a little bit of a devil's advocate here because Jack Lemmon looks goofy. Jack Lemmon looks goofy in that last scene on the couch dealing out the cards and his head is kind of bobbing around like I sometimes do and the shut up and deal. A good friend of mine, Stan, and he hates that last line because because she's being coy instead of... What's the last... He says, I love you, Mrs... What's her last name? Miss Kubelik. Kubelik. Shut up and deal. And it's like... She's being a bitch because she's not. I don't. I don't agree with anything I'm saying right now. But it's another way to look at it that he. She's not. She's giving him a hard time because when you declare your love for someone, that's a raw moment. Right. It's a raw moment, and to for the other person, the receiver, to not be responsive, is kind of saying "fuck you." Well, that's why I feel her and, acting is. What says I love you too? The way she Agreed. says it, the look on her face, her body language, and so the words are consistent with her clever responses throughout the movie. Right, right. I think, I, I, and I, I don't see it as what Stan says at all. I agree. I think Stan, one of the things Stan's kind of shallow. Well, no, I, <laughs> he never listens to these podcasts anyway. So can I say him. something? <laughs> yeah. That's what I like about the choice. If she said, I love you oh, too, we would not be I'd, discussing this yeah, right now. I'd be rolling my eyes. The fact that she says something that is different is what pushes this to be a little more anti-wave. And the subtext, though, is right. she's on board for the ride. And whether you like that last beat or you don't, it's definitely a discussion item in much the same way you were mentioning The Graduate and the last beat on The Graduate where they escape everyone else, sit on the bus, and then stare off into space. It's more of a look of, my God, what the hell it's do we a, just do? It's a, a moment that's worthy of discussion, Absolutely. as opposed Absolutely. to just them holding each other and like right. smiling. Right. I, that, right. That's not a discussion-worthy I moment. I agree. I agree. So they've created something within the, genre, within, the, within the film that's worthy of us discussing this many years later. So I like it. I like the, those kinds of choices. But I still hope when I do eventually declare my love to a woman, she'll say it back to me. Shut up and deal. <laughs> she'll say nobody's perfect. <laughs> there we go. She'll say another wild. Shut movie. up, Iron. Keep eating movie. my pussy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So is this is an anti wave? Anti-wave? Is it? And you feel it is? I think we all do. I think do it's think? slightly more anti-wave. I mean, there's a three-act structure. Absolutely. And character it's happy. grows. Ever the love. Well, That's he good. does grow. You're giving oh, yeah. me a look. Like no, that, my, my look was on another point that it's got a happy ending. Oh, for sure. He gets what he, he gets wants the at girl. the end. Everyone wins. And he, he just comes to terms with the fact that he's left his job and just like, I don't know, I'll travel the world or whatever. And he's like, I'll find some other place to go. And it just kind of seems like all your worries have just gone away now. And, and so uh, that just kind of seems to be magical Hollywood writing of like, Yep. Don't worry about anything. All the other stuff that you've you've cared about before, it's all gone because you made this one simple decision to leave your job. Spoiler alert. Ah. So in that sense, it does feel a little 
a little Hollywood. It pushes it back the other direction. Absolutely, for me. absolutely. What do you think, Fred? Uh, I'm not an expert on any wave as you guys are, but uh, but you do I, have an opinion. And they're pretty I strong. I mean, clearly, this is a Hollywood movie made by a leading director, right. a leading director, a uh, writing team, uh, very important actors of the time. Uh, so it's very Hollywood, and it does have a happy ending. But we were, we've been talking about all the controversial ways the behaviors are in this movie. Uh, in addition, though from a different perspective, it was very controversial at its time. Yeah, uh, There was a major backlash in the public against men and women having sex, and the man is married to somebody else, this shouldn't be shown in a movie. I like that. I like that they were going there this early. How that, about that? That feels real. This was one of the first times that had been depicted on sure. the screen. Right, right. So that was very controversial at the time as well. You're right. And for- then seeing a suicide attempt in a movie, yeah. right, right. that was very rare. And to have it presented so frankly, that was... Uh, <laughs> almost comedically um, and yeah. those, are, those are really good points both yeah. is and is not why it is and is because the people who made this film were all Hollywood darlings uh, not sure. just the two stars well, surely, all she, of them even I.A.L. Was Diamond was McLean she wasn't that she, big was she, she? this was her breakout was, wasn't it was a breakout film well she was in Pajama she was on even, Broadway wasn't she on Broadway but she also had been in Around the World in 80 Days was that before an Indian princess of yeah, all things yeah I know that but even even the IAL Diamond and obviously the director, that you got a lot of Hollywood heavyweights there. Yes. But you brought out some really good points why it is anti-wave. And obviously the core point for me, which you both more or less disputed, and I wrote down, well, the protagonist's disturbing motivation. Because I was still going along with right. what's, why is he doing this? Is it just for job advancement? And you guys actually corrected me on that. And felt that well, it's so he can. Uh, she wants her to be happy mm-hmm. that she really loves Fred McMurray. Well, prior, so, and that's at that point. But early r- on, I mean, yes. the very initial presentation of these guys using his apartment yeah. and him being so beaten down by them. Uh, I mean, that was kind of despicable behavior. But he, in his Im- initial meeting with Sheldrake, and he's explaining how he got into this posi- position in the first place. He kind of minimizes it, and it was it just got out of control, basically. Right, that's exactly right. You're giving it a six point eight, aren't you? I am. I'm getting. I was thinking six, six, six and a half. Is that great? Yeah. A six point eight. I'm giving it a six point eight on the anti-wave scale. I'll give it a six point seven. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, <laughs> clearly, somewhere between six and seven yeah. lies the truth. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, man. That was nice. Who died this week? Ah, are you saying it's time for? Got to tell you, unfortunately, we must. The following people, they done turned to dust. I don't think you guys know what happened here. It was what? on the news coming over. Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas? Kirk Douglas. Wait, didn't he die last he time Fred was here? No, no. You're getting that, A year ago? I think he no. did, but no. he was... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> resurrected like the phoenix right. he is. Yeah. Anyway. And, and I, I really liked his, his chin and the striped shirt in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Right, that, Fred? That you know, was I really liked good. That. that was really good. And, and he, he had great He did not hair. look so great good at the, li- at the last oh, uh, Academy God. Award. Oh, my God. He should have been dead by then. Do you yeah. think it would have been awesome if they just rolled him out with that same striped shirt? That was <laughs> <laughs> just like, go. You know, nothing about Kirk. Great hairline. He had, I liked his hairline, mm-hmm. too. Great hairline. You know so what? He's dead. It's a wig. The entire time it was a wig. It was not real. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Um, however, he's not getting 
he's not getting my um, my uh, Dead Corner Silver Spotlight Award. Instead, that award is going to Harold Prince. Now, I know we associate him with Broadway. I know we do. He's responsible as a producer and a director. Right. You, you, back what, up. Just still a little, not, no, back up, but aim your mouth towards the mic. I know he's associated okay, with Broadway primarily. Um, all right. With, with the Phantom of the Opera, Fiddler on the Roof, West Side Story. But he did direct two films. He did direct two movies. He uh, There was something called Something for Everyone which I, with Angela Lansbury and Michael York. And he also directed the film A Little Night Music. Isn't that interesting? Oh. So he directed those two films that I'm giving him. What is American so, Little... Oh, no, sorry. A Little Night Music. What is that? I don't know oh, what that is. Oh, Send the Clowns. That was, Isn't uh, it crazy? There we go. Da, 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 I, like, I like how I say, what's this da, movie about? And you start singing. Da, da. Isn't that from that, Fred? Yeah, yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a Stephen Sondheim musical. So okay. he undoubtedly directed it on Broadway as well. He directed a lot of Sondheim's shows. And they're relationship was one of the key parts of both of their careers so he undoubtedly made that movie that movie was a flop yes it was i understand Mm. i don't care i'm giving you the award anyway which is so disappointing to me because a little night music is my favorite all-time stage musical really yes more than cats (laughs) that's very funny No, I I really like. No, he really liked dogs. <laughs> and I, I like cats, particularly the trailer. The trailer to the new movie. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, Ooh. Ooh creepy. Hey, how come uh, you didn't give the silver spotlight to uh, Dakota Johnson's gap and her teeth? Did you hear about this? Okay, does she have a space between her teeth? Not anymore. You mean she had plastic? She had work done. Yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah, that was her defining... When did this happen? How come I don't know about it? Apparently, Explain. it's in the news this week. Really? Yeah, buddy. I sh- that should have got The gap should have gotten the dead corner. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah. Gap is gone. That makes me... You know The um, internet is upset. I mean, that's clearly the most tragic thing that happened all weekend. <laughs> of all the things this weekend. Well, there, there were some shootings, Robert. Yeah, but there did you hear what I said? Robert, Dakota Johnson's Robert, gap is Robert, gone. Robert, there were two mass shootings. <laughs> yes, I'm talking about everything that happened are you, are this week. Sure, there was only two. Three, I think there three? were third one in Chicago. Third like, one. Uh, don't you think that's worth some Dakota's gap? Oh, uh, Dakota, we're talking about Fifty Shades of Grey here, Ira. I mean, that means if they make another one of those movies, it's going to be completely inconsistent. <laughs> You know this. Re- this reminds me of um, the f- the female lead in Love Story. What's her name? What's her name? In Love Story. Oh, oh, Ally McGraw. Allie McGraw. Allie, yeah. You know she also had a crooked front teeth, and she refused to do anything about it. And what Robert about, Evans was saying, "You've got to do it." And she refused. What about Terry Thomas for that matter? Oh well, he was known for that. Do you know Terry? You probably no, don't know don't Terry, Terry Thomas. Thomas do you? Terry yeah. Thomas was an English actor. Yeah, with a gap. Comedic. Oh, imagine that! An English actor with a gap. Well, they all had. Bad Wait, teeth. was he in the Monsters? No. Movie, no. One of the not the TV show, the movies. I know who you're talking about. He had a big, wide gap, right? In the middle of his front teeth? Yes. I think he was in one of the Munsters movies. Hmm. I Maybe. don't remember. Yeah, yeah, like Munsters Go Home or something. Where they go to England and they... Like, uh, if they went to England, they he was in it. Then that sounds like he was in it. Now I want to find out. Dakota Fanning. Wow. All right. Not Dakota Fanning. Dakota oh, Johnson. I get those two Dakotas mixed up. Why? And then there's the state of Dakota. Yeah. <laughs> Which one? States. North or South? <laughs> You're right. Now there's four Dakotas. And what was his name? Terry what? Terry uh, Thomas. Isn't hyphen, it with a hyphen? It's a hyphen. It was a hyphen. He was in Mad Mad World. Yeah. He was... I'm going to find it. Okay. Robert's going to find it. He was in Monsters Go Home. That's how I know him. Man. Is that there? You're right. How weird is that? Robert, you do that? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Let me me double check. Yeah. Where's producer Joy? I'm... I'm, Well, she's dealing with a baby right now. Whatever. 
I thought it was him. Wasn't it? Hmm. Monsters go home. I'll find it. All right. Okay. In the meantime, yes. Are we gonna? Uh, uh, are we gonna do some top five? It's time to hit it, Vern. It's time to give a listen, you little creeps, to our top five. All right. Our top five this week is top five. What, Ira? Jack Lemon movies, and this is interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now I think there's going to be some overlap. I don't. You were. That was an issue, and I think you're going to find there's going to be very little, if any, overlapping. And I'm curious to know if you went comedic or dramatic with with Jack. Uh, we'll find out. Both. Mm. Mm. You're still looking up Terry Thomas, aren't you? I, I am, I but tell. it's not. He wasn't in Monsters Go Home. Yeah, but I'm, I'm going to find out. Okay. All right. So, um, oh wait, maybe he was. Monsters Go Home. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I think I've got it. Terry Thomas was in Monsters Go Home. See, he's right. How does he know this? Stuff? I wouldn't know that because I would never waste my time it. seeing that movie. <laughs> I, I was a child of the 80s, and TBS had a very limited budget in what they could afford to show over and over and over again. So Monsters Go Home, Jim Cotta, Beastmaster, I've seen those way more times than I should have. Anyway, <laughs> hey, uh, Fred, what's you your know, number? Can I make a blanket statement? Yeah. I just want to say, before we get started with our five, and I think we'll all agree with this, that Jack Lemmon personified the everyman. Yeah, as, as an actor, right? Yeah, I was thinking he, he he's he, on he, this, a par with Jimmy Stewart Jimmy Stewart and, and Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Those exactly. are the three. Those, those, those are the, the three everyman that people can relate to. And um, he was very good at both comedic and dramatic, as we will see. Can I tell you? I also liked. There was. I, I feel like in maybe it was in the airport movies or something, but he wasn't would occasionally play an asshole. Every once in a while, he'd play kind of an, a dick, and you're like, dude, I kind of like this. And I can't even I can't remember what performance is it was. Seventy seven was he with a Brenda, dick in that with, movie with Brenda I know, Vaccaro. I know he was in one of the he was in seventy seven with Brenda, yeah. but I can't remember him. I can't remember his performance. So none of my top five is him being an asshole. But I remember him doing it somewhere along the way, and I remember really enjoying it. Going, dude, he could be a cock. And it's kind of like Tom Hanks. Every once in a while, he'll do a role that you're like, right. dude, you're kind of a jerk, and I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Was he an asshole in Glengarry Glen Ross? Well, well, well okay. We'll, so we'll get there. We'll see if that's on any of our lists. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who's going to go first? Uh, let, let's go Fred, then me, then you. Let's end with you, buddy. Ooh. <laughs> go ahead, Fred. My you, sentiments exactly. <laughs> you kick us off. So, <laughs> I have to say that uh, I chose not to deal. You chose poorly. <laughs> I did. I chose not to deal with his serious movies i wanted to look at his comedies We're overlap like crazy so i did so. when looking at his comedies there's a lot of fluff in there and uh i had to figure out a number five and i gave it to the great race where he was the villain playing professor fate to tony curtis's hero uh, but it was a silly slapstick movie at the time, I think the critics did not care for it, right? And it didn't live up to its potential. But I remember it fondly as an experience that I had at that age, when I really enjoyed it. And I've listened to the Henry Mancini soundtrack album a thousand times. They say there's a tree in the. Oh forest. my gosh! I, just because it's your birthday, you I don't get should, this many songs. Are, are you going to sing one song for every year old you are? I, I should. You've <laughs> only got two songs left. I I'll tell you who's the composer for my number four choice when we get to that, too. Uh-oh. But I bet you you it's will not Henry. be able to think of any songs to sing. All right. From, <laughs> see. 
he'll make something up. He'll just aimlessly create some some notes. So number five, the Great Race. All right, my number five is from 1968. I, oh, I'm going no, last. you're going That's last. Right. Okay, buddy. Okay, okay. You, you get to I'm sorry. Be the final. But word. I'm the birthday boy. Exactly. Okay, well, you could go next if you no, want. No, 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 no. My number five is from 1968, The Odd Couple. Really? It's a great man. It, it's. Walter Matthau, Jack Lemmon, that's b- both of them at their best. Agreed. And I saw what, that What do you movie? say? What's the line? Like, it took me an hour to figure out that F.U. meant Felix Unger. That's a great well, line. That's, that's, <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. Um, no one could write comedy like Neil Simon, and it was wonderful. And I saw it again not too long ago on TV and was laughing out loud. Mm. It, it did not feel a minute dated in its uh, Can I say? I need to say something. Movie. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Fifty-year-old movie. That line. Say, say about, into the mic. No, that line about feel f u Felix Unger. It. This is where I'm really anal compulsive. It always bothered me, because the initials would be f y. No f f f what u f u Unger u n g e r Felix Unger. So, but it's if you're saying fuck you, it would be f y, not f u. Mm-hmm. And it always bothered me. But if you're saying it, if you're going F U, what do you mean F U? But if you give the initials of the two words, it's really F Y. But if it's F Y, no one would know what it is. But the I know, joke is I know, off but now. I was okay, that's just me. Yeah, that's Sorry, is you. go ahead. That's you. Buddy. I know, that is me. Yeah. I do want to me. say something what you about what you said, Fred. I I think Neil Simon writes in a way that is very funny, especially if you've got the right actors. But if you have the wrong actors, his comedy falls flat. And it just becomes very, very shticky. And uh, I like it in the hands of these two. These two are masters at it. But you could see some uh, poor perform- performers. There's some people that their writing just translates. It doesn't matter who is at the helm. Uh, but seeing these two guys really take Neil Simon's work and, and make it uh, do it justice, I think, is is really a, a great shining example of all of their talents. Well, I would imagine in the wrong in the hands of the wrong actors, Shakespeare would not be so wonderful either. Mm. That's definitely true. <laughs> uh, but I think there are some some writers that they can suffer through horrible actors. Not maybe not too many, but Neil Simon is definitely up there on my list of. He needs a couple of good actors to be able to pull some of that off. Uh, but I like his writing. I, I, I do like it. I'm not trying to slight the guy. Yeah. But people got to pull it off. Otherwise, it just comes across as trite. Anyway, Ari, what's your number five? What was your number five? What was it again? No, I'm serious. F- oh, you. the odd couple. That's right. Felix Unger. All right. First, I want to say that, and again, I did not include the odd couple, but it is one of my scoops. But I want to say that they were perfectly cast in that. And when it did transition to TV, uh, also with uh, Tony Randall and Jack Klugman, also very, very good in their parts, but not quite Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau. Right. Agreed. You were afraid of overlapping, weren't you? Mm-hmm. And I was, I was, I was comforting you. Well, the night is young. Well, my number five is is the Great Race. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, Blake Edwards directed that. It's also got Tony Curtis and, and Natalie Wood, 1965. And it's a real race. I did some research on this. It actually did go from, from New York to Paris. It's based, yes, it's on, based a, on a real true I, story. I know. It's an actual race that they did. Other than the fact that there was a race in 1908 from New York to Paris. That's the only thing it had in common. Nothing I know, else is I alike. Know. But I want to say that it's not Jack Lemmon as Professor Fate that I loved. He played two parts in that film. Mm. He was also the prince. 
And there was something about he had to make sure that all of his people, as the prince of the kingdom, laughed. And he'd do that, <laughs> and he'd gesture wildly, making sure that everyone laughed with him. And that was something that my brother and I used to really annoy our parents, um, that, that we just, <laughs> <laughs> and I just loved him as that character. And also, I, I can't see why they found that annoying at all. <laughs> great music, Henry Mancini. I still have the record, the, the LP soundtrack, and also the movie is known for the pie fight. Yes. The, the pie fight. That's my number five. All right, Fred, what's your number four? All right, my number four is The Fortune Cookie from 1966, directed by Billy Wilder and written by Billy with I.A.L. Diamond. Once I again. have not seen this movie. I have seen The Great Race, but I don't remember shit, and so I can't even count that as one of my nine that I've seen, but I have not seen The Fortune Cookie. Also a black comedy, also shot in black uh, and I white. I think they prefer yeah. African-American comedies. Oh, okay. Thank you. All right. Um, you know, I have not seen this movie since 1968 or 66 when it came out, uh, but I remember it. I went and <laughs> saw it a couple of times because I liked it so much, particularly, I hate to say, Walter Matthau's performance as the shyster lawyer was really the, uh, the eye-opening thing. It, it, it was the role that took him from being right. a bit actor supporting actor to into being, a main character to being the main character in a comedy uh, he had actually done a lot of serious stuff on the stage and in movies as well as playing comedy parts. i wonder if it holds up as well as you remember i don't know that'd but be interesting to it, see again. it really at the time impressed me and so i'm putting it out there as my favorite i i remember vaguely that the jack lemon's character is injured in a minor way at a sporting event where he was a, a cameraman. cameraman he was a cameraman and walter mathel plays the shyster lawyer brother-in-law who uh, creates this big lawsuit and it's all about uh, trying to prove that jack lemon wasn't as injured as he pretended to be and uh, so it's all about trying to generate an insurance claim out of a minor injury. It feels like there was a lot of insurance claims in uh, movie devices from the 50s and 60s. Um, anyway, uh, I, I just... That's your number four. That's my number four. All right. My number four is from 1959, Some Like It Hot, featuring a couple guys in drag. That's it. That's it? Yeah, man. Wait, who directed that? Billy Wilder. I thought you don't like Billy Wilder movies. I don't. Well, but you're... Incl- who, I, who wrote it? I don't know who did write that. Billy Wilder and I. A.L. Diamond. Diamond. Mm. There they are. I mean, look, the movie, again, another example of, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not a bad movie. It's just not fantastic. I didn't didn't love this movie. It's, to me, not a laugh out loud movie. Yeah. I smile a lot while watching it. I love the story, and I love the, the, uh, the, here, Marilyn Monroe is very appropriate. Right, right. And it's probably the one part that, I remember Marilyn Monroe in the the rest of her movies to me not were, seven year itch were forgettable. which is yet another Billy Wilder movie so uh, or Gene Wilder if you prefer <laughs> well you know one thing I could say about Billy Wilder nobody's perfect <laughs> <laughs> which is again the famous last, last line, line. Yeah. right right all right what do you got Eric dressing up in drag never made me laugh it's true yeah, if it hit too close it's to home just, for you. It's true what I do every night. I'd be laughing at myself silly all the time. Okay. It, it just, I, one thing I learned is that uh, by reading about it on, in Wikipedia is that they actually hired some drag 
queen to train them how to That behave. feels like not only would they do it, it feels like a publicity stunt more than anything, but that feels like typical Hollywood bullshit with way too much money. Just like, <laughs> let's go hire some drag uh, queens to show us how to put on... But the whole point is that they're fucking... Like, they don't know how to do it, right? Well, no, it wasn't wasn't to, to how to put on their clothing and their makeup. It was how to move and talk and behave to appear feminine. Mm. All right. Ira, what's your number four? He won the Oscar for this. Not supporting, but he won actor for it for Save the Tiger. 1973, this is my number four. John Alvidson, uh, again, he's we spoke about him recently. He directed Rocky as well as Karate Kid, and he directed Save the Tiger as well. Um, and um, I think I related to it a lot because Jack Lemmon's character was working in downtown LA in the women's apparel industry, and that's what my dad did. And it's really at the end of your ropes. To be fair, your dad just window shopped. He just was staring <laughs> at all the women <laughs> trying to change in their dressing rooms because they wouldn't let him inside the inside the department stores anymore. What are you, what are you saying? Pressing his face up against the glass windows. That Ira is a chip off the old block? Is yeah. That what you're saying? yeah, that's where Ira learned it. A man out of touch with a new society. And can't appreciate the changes that are going on uh, in that period. And so it's. I thought it was a really incredible performance from Jack Lemmon. I'm glad he won the Oscar for that. I still remember the very last scene that was shot at Roxbury Park. I used to live near there where he's just watching kids play baseball. The ball happens to come to him and he's holding the ball and the kids say, you can't play with us, mister. You're too old. That's the final moment of the movie. But it was a very good film and I'm glad he won then, the Oscar the, for that. And then he said, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. No, he said, shut up and deal. <laughs> That's my number four. All right, Fred, what's your number three? Well, my number three is Some Like It Hot. All right. Which we've already talked Overlapping about. yet again. Yeah. Whatever. I'm going to give you that look every time we overlap, Ira. Uh, Some Like It Hot. Go ahead. Anything you want to add to it? No, I think you've said it all. Okay. <laughs> uh, my number three, which I predict we're going to hear a few more times tonight. From 1992, Glengarry Glen Ross. The David Mamet uh, written and directed film, famously, uh, every every line was uh, exactly as David Mamet wrote it. And you know, the famous monologue, The Coffee's for Closers, was in addition to the movie, not from the play, right? Um, are we aware of that? We are now. Well, we are now. But Jack Lemmon does a great job of uh, wanting all the leads. He's uh, a phone the booth in the rain. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's calling his... He's the tragic his, character, yes. right. isn't he? Yeah. 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 And he was really good. Uh, he's really great. In that, everybody's great in that movie. Yeah. And no women in that movie, right? As it should be. <laughs> now, what are if they were dressing, dressing up in drag? <laughs> Do you know how many... You, you would be so sad if there were no women in movies. Why, why go? <laughs> Uh, all right that's why he likes the great escape i was just so gonna much. say but i love the great escape not one female it's movie. so funny that you go from one end of misogyny that's to the true. other end of misogyny so quickly yeah yeah like that's wanting men, women in movies and not wanting yeah. women yeah. in movies it's true the great even the magnificent seven only had that one female that's right she died a few months ago i know she was on my list the oh. dead corner okay all right uh, along with kirk douglas yeah. yeah i hope they're happy together um lawrence of arabia also no women as it should be I was going to hum the theme to that, but I'm not going <laughs> to. He was trying to think of it. Steel Magnolias, also no women. Yeah. All right, keep going. All right, my number three. I wonder if it's going to be on your list. China Syndrome. I have not seen China Syndrome. Really? Yeah. 
Really, this was a hell of a movie. In addition, Jack, uh, it's got Jane Fonda and Michael Douglas, who also produced the film. Uh, was 19... this a nuclear thing? Yes, okay. 1979. And the irony to that is it was it was just a few weeks after it was released, we had Three Mile Island. Right. And they actually decided to not show the film in, the, in a few theaters because of what had happened. Right? I might have seen this, but I don't remember anything from it's it. It's really good. Jack, have you seen it, Fred? Have you I seen... have a long time ago. There's something and on TV, I think, rather than in the theater. Right, I missed it in the theater. There's that one moment for me where Jack Lemon, again, known primarily for the comedic stuff, and he he brandishes a gun, and it was just so disturbing for me to see Jack Lemon and he runs out and says, gun. <laughs> what? <laughs> "I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore." Right? Was that the part you're talking about? Yeah, that's he's it. really great in that yeah, part. He's really great in that film. But China Syndrome is a hell of a film in 1979. Again, that's my number three. All right, hey uh, Fred, what's your number two? Well, overlapping, The Odd Couple. Oh. As I said, I saw it just recently, and I, I just laugh out loud at those guys. And they were, as you said, perfectly cast. There couldn't be a better cast for that story. Um, all right, is that it? Yep. My number two is a movie that I think many people forget that Jack Lemmon is in because he gets overshadowed by so many other people uh, that are all really great in this movie. Um, and I've frequently called it an irresponsible filmmaking from 1991, JFK. Do you remember Jack Lemmon in and this? And he was in it, wasn't he? Yeah. He played um, uh, Guy Bannister. He played the uh, Jack Ruby's uh, co-worker. And they they go interview him several times. And he's uh, he's kind of plays this kind of nebbish guy who's kind of beaten up a lot by uh, by Jack Ruby, and uh, he's got a, a cool few scenes in there. And he kind of just plays like a very nervous, almost like a the same version of a character that he plays from the apartment, similar kind of concept. But he's really good in it. JFK, my number two. Nice, so, Ira. Not, I want to point out there was no overlapping so far. There's not going to be any overlapping on this either. Uh-huh. I mentioned this a few months ago, and I had seen it for the first time just a few months ago. Days of Wine and Roses. That's my number no, one. No, it's not. Uh-huh. You're, no, 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 no. I'm not gullible anymore. I uh-huh. told you that. Uh, 1962, Blake Edwards, again, uh-huh. uh, directed it with Lee Remick. And uh, Henry Mancini yes. did the music to that. I want to tell you that all three, director and the two leads, were in AA. They had issues with alcoholism in real life. Is that interesting? Oh, wow. So uh, I think that added a certain something. I can tell you, fascinating. Maybe I've said this before a year ago. I'm not sure. But regarding the ending, which was very, it was not a happy ending where Lee Remick simply leaves and knows that she can't change and she's an alcoholic. You see her walking away with a liquor store neon lit up in the night sky. And the studio was not happy with that. And they wanted to have more of a hopeful ending just hopeful and Jack I've read this in two sources you guys where he after completed filming he went to Europe this was before cell phones and they were hoping he could come back and reshoot a few scenes but he quote was not available so they had to leave the ending the way it was which is the way Jack wanted it mm. isn't that interesting mm. but what a performance so I remember he was duck in the studio he was duck keep... in the studio and again before cell phones it was relatively easy to do he was in, in Europe and it's got that disturbing ending the studio you know, was not you, you happy know it's still it. really easy to do you just gotta ignore on your cell phone that's all yeah but then the studio would say you're not answering yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right you're, you're absolutely right what a hell of a movie that is it's it's raw, it's gritty, it's gutsy, um, and and he's just terrific in that movie. Just terrific in that film, Days of Wine and Roses. Days of Wine and Roses. All right. Fred, what's your number one? 
Well, golly, it's the apartment. The apartment. Uh, you want to hear about it? Uh, sure. What's it about? Uh, well, let's start all about over again. About 30 minutes too long, you ask me. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Not for me. I don't know. I don't know what I would cut out. Um, my number one is from 1997, 12 Angry Men. Mm-hmm. And while this is a made-for-TV movie... It's the remake. It's the remake. And I think Jack Lemmon is the big shining star of that. Like, he really does a good job of uh, uh, bringing some humanity into it. You know, I, 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 I do... F- I know this is almost sacrilege to say, but I felt like the remake was, while not as good as the original, it's right up there. It's got some really nice moments to it, and it was a worthy remake to try to, um, I don't know, bring some people into the story that they would have not otherwise wanted to watch because the original was in black and white. I think that does alienate some younger moviegoers and stuff like that. So I think this was a, a well-made attempt, and I think Jack Lemmon was really good in it. I really enjoyed that one. Did right. you say that it was a... A TV movie or is it a made-for-theater movie? I think it was a made-for-TV movie. Made-for-TV. Yeah, I yeah. believe so. And uh, it was was Jack Lemmon playing the Henry Fonda role? And, as I recall, yeah. Now it's been. I want to make sure that I'm saying that correctly, but I think he was. Okay. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense. I mean, yeah. I haven't seen it, so I would. Oh, you be, haven't seen it? I'd be curious to see it. I've seen the original, but and I've seen the stage play, but I've not seen that version. Yeah. Ira, again. Some overlapping, but not as much as you had feared. My number one, Missing. I've mentioned this movie to you before, and I know so you're not familiar with Your it. Your number one Jack Lemmon movie is not The Apartment. No. Well, I thought about that, but I knew we were going <laughs> to devote 45 minutes to it, so I thought I'm not going to do that one, even though I'd probably put that in my top five. Missing. <laughs> you're I, crazy. You, you didn't Why? even put it in your top five. Yeah, you didn't put it in your top five. I'll make it a scoop. It's a scoop. Oh, oh my, my gosh. God. Have you seen Missing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you no? You haven't seen Missing, so leave me alone. It's my list, and I'm the birthday boy, so fuck off. It's my party. I don't cry if I want to. Go ahead. Costa hey, Gravas. He sang. Yeah, he sang. You didn't give him any. I, I, hard I've time been hanging out it. with you too long. 1982. Costa Gravas. He did a lot of political thrillers, like thrillers like Z and others. Missing, which was about. Um, by the way, I want you to know it won the Palme d'Or. I'm in, sorry? In, in, or in, in, Gazuntite. Con, what did con, you say? At the Cannes Film Festival. And he stars with Sissy Spacek when Sissy's husband is missing. And um, and so he's it's the really relationship. I don't like Sissy father. Spacek. I know. There's too talk many S's in her that. name. Sissy Spacek. Excuse me. It's the dynamic between Sissy and her father-in-law. Who names their daughter Sissy? Fred, tell him to stop. <laughs> stop. Sissy. No, stop that. It's vintage lemon, and there's a scene there where he was very good at wearing a, a suit with a loosened tie. That was a look of his. Right. With a loosened tie. You guys know what I mean. And he's so desperate to find his missing son, and he goes into this packed amphitheater with a megaphone and makes a speech. Has anyone seen my... And he's like ruffled and his, he didn't sleep all night. Wasn't the kid missing in like South America or yeah, something? Yeah, it was one of those countries. They had a coup. Right. And it's a true story. It's based on a true story. And it's vintage um, uh, Jack Lemmon. He was terrific in this movie and I think it's worthy to see. You may want to consider seeing Maybe that. you should have selected that for this year's uh, you know, out of the vault movie. What, you Instead, saying- you selected The Apartment. It's too late now. Fred. Sorry, birthday boy. But I wanted to see the yeah. apartment. 
He did it for me. Oh, producer Joey just sent me. It was Mary Elizabeth Spacek. Oh, that's how she was. Yeah, and, and then Spacey Sissy was a nickname. Oh, by the way, I sent you guys an email some weeks ago, which you ignored. But and we do that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just you, Fred. Don't Speaking don't worry. We ignore of, a lot of the emails of strange names. Oh, Rip when, Torn. When Rip Torn died, I sent you an email saying, in fact, that was a com. They were Torns. That was their last name, and an uncle and his father both assumed the nickname Rip, and so did he to maintain the tradition, and so. It wasn't just a Hollywood contrivance. It was something in his family. Right. Hmm. Hence, Rip Torn. Yeah. Now, now I want to find out what Rip Taylor's real first name is. George. <laughs> confetti. 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 Confetti, 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 confetti Taylor. Confetti Taylor. And he goes by Rip? Get the fuck out of here. All right. All right. That's it. Hey, we uh, scoops. What did you guys put down? I had the apartment as a scoop. I can't believe you put Char- Charles Elmer Rip Taylor. Rip is the nickname. So it is Charles Elmer Taylor. Elmer Taylor is pretty good. <laughs> All right. I think he's better off with Rip. Missing. Missing. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I looked through a lot of the Jack Lemmon uh, movies, and of all of the Jack Lemmon movies that I was skimming through that I hadn't seen, that one had the most appeal to me. I was like, dude, that looks pretty cool. It's a good premise, and he looks, just from the poster, I was like, man, I can tell this is going to be a good movie. It's vintage Jack. I can't believe you chose The Apartment and not that, though. You know what? We've often discussed this, if the primary movie we discuss should be included in the top five, and there's, well, my feeling was... Yeah, it should, especially if it's one of your favorite movies of all time. But there's there's an argument pro and con, because we already spent a lot of time talking about The Apartment, so it'll be somewhat redundant, so I made a concerted effort to go into uh, bring in other things. Mm -hmm. Besides, I really, really like Missing. So back off. So put Apartment number two. Whatever, it's my list, and I'm the birthday boy, leave me alone. (laughs) <laughs> oh, all right. <sighs> well, see, I I guess I don't get a talking back to because I did put it as number one. Yeah, so, see, go, that's all. Oh, right. yeah, Fred, you make sense. Why didn't yes. you put it down missing as number one? What the hell's wrong with you, that's, Fred? That's what, that's do you want to do scoops. a podcast every week? Because I'm looking scoops, days of wines and roses. I mean, I put all those as days my scoops, but I had made well, the decision right, there it is. Not yes. to go serious. <sighs> all right, hey man, we did it. Woo! Happy birthday, Thanks, Ira. Thanks, you guys. Happy what a great birthday. way to spend my my birthday. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and thank you for the gifts. Absolutely, yeah, man. You better yeah. watch those. Let me know what you think. I will. I will. I think you're going to enjoy them. I think so, too. All right. I'm going to go home and watch them tonight. Meh. All right. Hey, if people have some Jack Lemmon movies that they want to mention to us, they can... I don't know. Uh, we've included virtually everything. I think I we have. But if there are... Well, if the, we didn't include How to Murder Your Wife. We didn't talk about that one. Well, if you want to include neighbor, How to Murder Your good Wife... Good neighbor, Sam. You could send us an email to robert at antiwavepodcast.com or... And slash or ira at antiwavepodcast.com. Or you can reach out to us through Instagram, through... Uh, through uh, Twitter, our handle there is at AntiWavePod. That's right. We're all over the place, aren't we, Robert? We are. We are all over the place. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean. Just go to our website. Or you can reach out to us through uh, Patreon uh, and uh, help keep the sprocket holes moving over there. Aura and the Lost City of I Gold. I believe this. What do you think about that, Ira? I'm going to... I protest. <laughs> I'm going to skip next week. Yeah, I'd right like, hey, you. Fred, I'm with you. Yeah. All right, you we're going to do that this. now. We're going to do this. But wait till you see next week when you really yeah. hate it. Yeah, All right, so next sick. week we're going to watch the new Dora the Explorer movie. Cool. And uh, we'll report in on that. Hey, 
Fred, thanks so much for coming in Fred. today. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, let's keep the round of applause going for Ira and his birthday for oh, lasting yeah. yet another thanks, year. Thanks, you guys. Wonderful way to spend my birthday with all of you. Yeah. Hey, man. Uh, I think that was it, right? Oh, I guess we should thank Producer <laughs> Joey for do doing a great job. Thanks, Producer Joey. Yeah. She did produce on this one. She, she did some producing. Yeah. Yeah, she did. She also produced your baby. Yeah, I guess that counts. Yeah. Uh, thank you, everybody else, for coming down. And uh, I guess until next week, you just keep watching movies. And we'll help you sort them out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>